The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm the host, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and uh, thank you for joining me this week. This month, we are spending the whole entire month talking about neuroscience and what we're learning about the brain, that we're actually just scratching the surface, but how much we're learning is really helping us understand leadership, helping us shed greater light on how we can even be greater and better leaders uh, going forward. Now, one of my favorite topics is this whole notion of bias. And, you know, we used to shy away from bias, in certainly in the business setting, certainly in public settings, because it's a very controversial kind of topic. But the truth of the matter is, and you've heard me say this before, is that we all have bias, whether we want to admit it or not. And the first step in understanding who you are as an individual is peeling back that onion to really taking a good look at what are your biases and are they helping you or are they getting in the way of your own personal success? I would say quite often we have biases that we don't even realize, that we don't even understand, that come from places, frankly, we don't even understand. And sometimes they're counter to what we would really like to believe about ourselves, but they do get in the way. And I was just in New York City and had quite a number of meetings with some people there, and I met with uh, a banker, an Asian-American banker, and we spent quite a bit of time talking about the perceptions and bias about Asian uh, leaders, Asian employees, and also that Asians have relative to uh, working with Americans and working in the U.S. It was a fascinating discussion. And in fact, I think uh, probably are going to, uh, I am going to focus more on this um, in future shows. But I also was thinking about leaders and managers. And one of the things, there were several articles out, you're probably familiar with this literature, that still even today, we hire people that are very similar to ourselves. And there was a great expose just recently in uh, uh, the Sunday Review section of the New York Times, and it talked about 
how we always say leaders need to be rigorous and methodic about how they're hiring and interviewing people. But the fact of the matter is that people go and hire folks that they're comfortable with. What creates that comfort and trust is that they are people that are similar to themselves and that are non-threatening. Often, this causes us perhaps not to make the right choice. And there's unintentional consequences to hiring people just like us. One is that we don't get innovative and diverse thinking. We get groupthink. Two is that in a highly global world where you're going to be competing for talent with now companies all over the world, you can't afford to be hiring people just like yourself. You need to be hiring people that are different and think differently and look differently and act differently. The good news is that from our research, we know that there's one unifying factor for people. And this is out of research from Human Synergistics that I've been doing for with Rob Cook for over 20-some years, that people have the same values that they want from work. You know, it looks a little different in uh, China than it may look in the U.S. or that it may look in Estonia or Sweden, but essentially people want the same things out of work. So let me pause here and say I am so excited to have with me today uh, Dan Radecki. And the reason I'm so excited about this is Dan is someone who has been researching neuroscience for the better part of his career. He has a PhD in neuroscience. He has a master's in psychology. He works, uh, has worked for major pharmaceutical Pfizer and um, currently now Allergen. And he's been doing a lot of work on neuroscience and leadership. He actually worked with David Rock to help put together the very first Neuroscience Leadership Institute. He now is on the faculty of the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership. So thank you, Dan, for joining the show today. Thanks, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have you. And um, I just find this such a fascinating field. And, you know, you spent a, a good chunk of your academic life studying this field, and you're doing a lot with it in your day-to-day work. What made you study neuroscience, and what made you passionate about it? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's interesting now, because as, as my kids tell me, you know, neuroscience is cool, right? It, it didn't it used to be cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's popular press now. Um, when I was doing my, my uh, psychology studies, I really was interested in the brain. You know, knowing more about the biology, we had a handle for a couple hundred years on psychological theory, but we really didn't know much about how the brain acted, right? It's sort of the last frontier. So when I got into my, my future studies, I wanted to look at that. I wanted to look at what is this interplay between um, the brain and the mind, so sort of cognitive neuroscience. And particularly, I wanted to know, at that time, I was focusing on what stress did to the brain. And so that was when I entered the corporate world. Little did I know it, but that was sort of an omen of things to come because the corporate world can be incredibly stressful. And, and it became really? apparent. Really? I hadn't noticed that. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it really became apparent to me that uh, once I entered the corporate world, that even though I was working with all these brilliant minds, um, Ivy League MDs and, and scientists, and they understood the brain, they didn't know how to put those lessons into practice, right? They didn't really understand how, the, how to take what they knew about the brain and become a brain-friendly leader, you know, for things like decision-making and, and understanding work-life balance. Yeah, interesting. Isn't that fascinating? So, so what was your biggest aha from the studies that you did that really surprised you? I think the biggest one that I found was we've always known how stress impacts our body, right? Hypertension, the cardiovascular system. But I think the biggest aha for me was how much stress impacts our brain, and not just our brain, our higher brain our ability to do those things that are uniquely human, like to, to memorize a poem or to be creative or to plan for the future, how, it, how stress in and of itself can have an impact on that. And I think that's, to this day, not really appreciated that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a, a fascinating point. Um, you did a lot of work around the area of bias. And actually, before the show was being aired, we talked about a study that um, you and David Rock did around brain activity and how the brain reacted uh, differently, very differently to trauma in in uh, others that were not similar to themselves. We're going to be coming up on break very shortly, but quickly, can you give me some insights from that? And then we'll talk about it um, just after break. Yeah, sure. This is um, a, a research that was published in the Journal of Neuroscience, and basically the bottom line was looking at asking the question, does the brain respond to people who are different than us? So is there some component in the brain that we can look at, that we can measure, that we can image, that says, huh, this person realizes that that image on the screen is not part of their culture, you know, the whole in-group versus out-group thing. And there were some pretty amazing findings um, which highlighted the idea that at the core, we have these biases. We have this need to understand who's like us and who's not like us. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But really interesting research, which has been replicated subsequent to that. And as we talked about before the show, it's, it's all over the news now. All you have to do is look at Ferguson, look at Trayvon Martin, right. and you could see some of the implications of this. Yeah, and I think, I think that's really true. Uh, 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 you know, I was looking at an article relative to Michelle Obama today, and, you know, while many people will criticize her for saying that she really felt she was, you know, treated in many circumstances differently because she, you know, was African-American and she was very sensitive to that. And, and uh, you know, things that I saw uh, relative to her comments that I saw that were in the open press would lead me to believe that she was absolutely correct. So... Say more about that study and say more about, you know, what you found there. So this was a, actually it was a, a study that had been published already that we wrote about in the Harvard Business Review. And so we didn't conduct it, but we were trying to take it and, and use it as a lesson in terms of leadership and apply it to the leadership world. And what it was, it was, it was sort of elegant in its design. It had two groups. And these were all students, highly educated students, one group of Caucasian students, so 17 Caucasian students and 17 Chinese students. 
And what they did was they had their brain being measured, okay, a particular area of their brain being imaged. And it's the area of the brain that we think has a lot to do with empathy. Okay, so the ability to feel someone else's pain and to empathize with them. So what they did with these students was they put them in this machine and they imaged this area of the brain to see how active is this empathy center, right? And they showed these students um, images on the screen. One image was a fellow student who they didn't know having a painful stimulus applied to them, so a needle to the cheek, all right? And then what they did was they varied that image by whether or not this this person having the, the needle applied to their cheek was part of their culture or not. So the Caucasian faces, they would see a Caucasian student having a needle put to their cheek, and they would see a Chinese face having a needle applied to their cheek. Okay, and they would do the same with the Chinese students. They would see a Caucasian student and a Chinese student having a needle applied to their cheek. So the, the premise of this was, let's look at the brain to see if there's any differences in the way the brain interprets empathy based on, in this case, um, cultural group. And what they found was really fascinating. What they found, now remember, these were highly educated students who reported no problems with biases or stereotypes. In fact, when they talked to them after the study and they asked, how much empathy did you feel for the person in this video? They all reported very high empathetic scores. But when, we, when, when these researchers looked at the brain data, it told a different story. In fact, in this area of the brain that we think controls empathy, when a Caucasian student saw a Caucasian person with a painful stimulus. Hold this on, Dan. Hold this thought because we're coming up on break and I want to, I want to explore this uh, more, more fully. So stay with us, everyone. We're going to hear the answer to this very important question after break. We're talking to Dan Radecki. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, the host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection. And with me today is Dan Radecki, uh, Dan, a leading, uh, Phil Dixon, you're the, the CEO of uh, the Brain Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, a leading pracademic. By that I mean he has the academic research credentials to really understand and know about neuroscience and, and, and uh, how the brain works and how it relates to leadership. But he also has a practical application by having worked and, and currently working in, in a scientific environment where this is being applied. So, Dan, we were talking about bias. And, you know, we were talking about how controversial this is, but it's in the press quite frequently now. And I think that's personally a good thing to help people get clear about it. And you were talking about this study that was done a while ago. And um, give us, uh, t- tell us the results. I interrupted you at the end to, to go on break, but, you know, where people were saying that they really empathized with others, uh, but the brain told a different story. Yeah, sure. So, so the bottom line was in the study that what it showed when you, when you look at the brain, when you look at these images of the brain, you see a difference between how a person interacts, how their brain responds in the empathy centers to someone who is like them versus someone who's unlike them. In this case, the Caucasian subjects who saw a Chinese subject under a painful stimulus, their empathy center wasn't nearly as active as when they saw a fellow Caucasian student having a painful stimulus, and vice versa with the Chinese students. So it's interesting because I know we talked about biases and how insidious they are and how terrible they are. Um, but I agree with you that, that building an awareness of this is important um, because that's the first step, I think. This is something that is evolutionary necessary, and um, yes. we're learning more and more about it every day. Yeah, and, and really it's a very personal thing. And I think people struggle because... Sometimes when you really get to the core of your real bias, your non-conscious bias, as you will say, it's not a picture necessarily that you want to confront. But the more you understand that, the more you're able to flex to a different world. So tell me, go ahead. I was, I was going to agree with that, just saying that uh, the way the approach we take is just one of the first steps is accepting that people, and not only people, systems are biased. Yeah. Isn't that true? And I'm wondering, I mean, this is a bit of an esoteric comment, but I'm wondering if, if 
this makes it easier for people to inflict pain on folks that are not like them uh, than on folks that are like them. Well, you're right. It's controversial. In fact, when we wrote that Harvard um, Business Review blog, there were a tremendous amount of comments to that effect. And mm-hmm. um, you know, again, what we're trying to do, we're, we're not taking a judgmental stance. We're telling, what we're trying to do is get the word out there and say, this is the way the brain sees the world. Okay? Right. Now, that being the case, what can we do about it? Which is a great next question. How does one learn their true biases and how can they change them if they're not helpful? Yeah, okay, so, so that's, that's the million-dollar question, right? This is what everyone wants to know, the so what. What do I do? Okay, yeah, we have biases, and they're evolution, evolutionarily adaptive. We have these biases, Linda, because back in the day, um, if we didn't have this fight-or-flight bias to danger, we would, we would be dead. We never would be able to propagate our gene pool. So it's not as adaptive now as it was a long time ago. Um, but that being the case, the question is, how do we deal with this? We've got some strategies that we think work as we study the brain. Um, probably one of the best ones that we've discovered is brain training or mindfulness training. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Tell the audience more about that. I think that's uh, fascinating stuff. Sure, sure. So we have, we have, the wonder of the brain is we have built into it what we call this little break. It's a breaking system that allows us to do these uniquely human things. Like if we're hungry and we walk into a crowded restaurant and there's a beautiful smelling steak right next to us, we don't grab it and eat it, right? We have this break on our brain that allows us to say, well, that doesn't conform to my morals and the normative standards. So I'm not going to take that food, even though my lower brain wants to, my animalistic brain wants to. You know, if a dog walked in a restaurant and smelled it, it would immediately eat that steak. But it doesn't have that higher brain we have. So we have this higher brain that allows us to break our behaviors. We, we sort of call that the breaking system. And if we can know my dog, build this way. breaking system. Pardon? I said you must know my dog, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so this, what we think is that if we can preserve this breaking system, if we could focus on building it up and strengthening it, it can help us mitigate some of those biases that we naturally have. Yeah, and, and so what are some of the specifics that you do in, in this regard? So I think one of the most beneficial things is, a very simple one, is mindfulness training. Mindfulness training is somewhat akin to meditation, and it really is just about being present in the moment. There's a lot on mindfulness, and it's becoming very popular. But what we think that's doing when you're, when you're present, when you're not ruminating about, well, what am I going to do tomorrow or things that have gone wrong in the past, what we think that's doing is giving that higher brain a break. It's actually allowing you, and this is very hard. If you would just sit for a second and try to clear your mind of everything, for maybe 30 seconds. No thoughts, no sounds, no internal dialogue. We have people try to do that, and it's extremely difficult, right? Yes, as you practice I have it more tried and more, to do that. <laughs> but as you practice this more and more, it becomes easier to do. And what we found with neuroscience research is people who practice this, this type of mindfulness training of clearing that clutter out, that breaking system gets stronger. It's better able to 
manage our lower brain. So we can regulate our emotions better, and we can probably focus better. There's a lot of research on this topic right now. I'm going to have to dig into some of that research a little bit more myself. Um, what do you think? What do you think is the biggest impact of neuroscience on leaders and business? How how is this going to relate more to leadership and business? Do you think? I think this the, the probably the biggest aspect for application of this is getting leaders to understand that the old ways don't really work based on what we know about the brain and what really is a brain-friendly leader. So the old school approach, which I know you can appreciate, of the carrot and the stick, we know that recent research indicates that we have social drivers at work that are a lot more important for engagement than the carrot and the stick model. Things like autonomy and fairness and trust, those intangibles. So I think the biggest application of this is allowing people to understand things like emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, valuing that along with the standard cognitive intelligence. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because for years we have always said that those that um, exercise emotional intelligence um, really are able, what we call in, in our research, global research, perceptive responsiveness, uh, really are able to engage people so much more. And as a general rule, those leaders that we've studied that are able to do that have better business results in the long haul. Yes, exactly. And, and it's, what we're finding is that that ability to have that emotional intelligence sort of goes hand in hand with being able to manage that higher brain better, which means you can be more effective. All things being equal, you can be more productive. You can make better decisions because you have that ability with this emotional intelligence. Yeah. And you know what? I, you may not know the answer to this, but I, it's sort of an interesting question to me anyway. What do you think the percentage is of people who really are not exercising their emotional intelligence or or don't haven't adapted or developed that part of their brain? Well, based on the business we're in and the feedback we get in the general population, I'd say probably 99% of people don't, don't consciously develop it or understand mm-hmm. the utility of it. If people knew how useful this was, I think there would be just a massive onslaught of people trying to, to do this. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that would, that would be the case. Yet we do a lot of training programs, as you well know, you know, around, you know, having empathy and, you know, understanding how others feel and all of that stuff. And it doesn't seem to me to be moving the needle particularly. But you know what we found, Linda, in the, when we've done the classes, we've, we set up a pro-educational program in the neuroscience of leadership. And we've heard that exact criticism from our students, what they found most useful is being able to understand it from a scientific perspective, not the what. You could say, you can use the terms like emotional intelligence and and what they call the soft, squishy language. But when you can show them a research study in a peer-reviewed journal that says, hey, this is why mindfulness meditation or this is why emotional regulation works, it enhances Mm -hmm. this braking system or it makes this higher brain more efficient, then they buy into it. 
Yeah. And they can actually see it. Exactly. We're a skeptical society. Let's face it. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, what you you how do does this apply beyond the workplace? Do you think? I mean, I think it does personally, but how do you see oh, it, it, it has, applying beyond the workplace? It has tremendous applications, um, and I know we're at the bottom of the hour now, but um, yes. we we could talk a long time about how this applies not just to the C-suite, but beyond to everything from children to um, oil field workers, which we've experienced the, the gamut of both. Yeah, oil field workers. That would be very interesting to, uh, to, to get into a discussion around that. What I also want to talk to you about after, after the break, which I think is coming up in, um, we're at the bottom of the hour, so I think it's pretty much 30 seconds away, um, are the, some of the limitations of the brain and uh, what are the so what's about the brain. So let's take a break. Stay with us. We're talking to Dan Radecki. A great, fascinating conversation around how mindfulness, understanding how the brain works from an emotional intelligence perspective, from a higher order perspective, what things you can do to develop this aspect of your brain and how it can relate big time to families, kids, etc., and communities. Stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the leadership connection. Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. And with me today is uh, Dr. Dan Radecki, uh, a leading expert in neuroscience. And we're having what I hope you all feel as well, a fascinating conversation about uh, the what we're learning about the brain through neuroscience and how it applies in so many facets of our lives as human beings. And in particular, we were talking about how... Um, some of these concepts can apply beyond the workplace, the leadership suite, uh, making better, more empathetic workplaces, but how it can apply to families, kids, and even communities. So, Dan, tell me about that, because I know you're doing a lot of work in that area. Yeah, that's really an area that that we're focusing on um, in the future here. And it came out of, really, it was something that came out of the classwork that we did a few years ago, where at the beginning, the first semester for this neuroscience of leadership coursework, we had your typical coaches and, and HR professionals. And as each semester went on, it sort of morphed into a wider and wider population. So before we knew it, we had elementary school teachers wanting to know about the neuroscience of leadership. We had yoga instructors, um, pilots, policemen. They really, anyone who wanted to know more about how their brain drives their behavior, and secondly, how to use that knowledge to do things like manage their emotions or to make better decisions. So that was sort of an aha moment for us. And we, we started to look into branching out to this. I've given talks to six-year-olds on this topic. And it's amazing how they can appreciate this and just get it, right? And, and all the way to CEOs and, and police officers trying to manage SWAT response teams. I mean, the application of it is just amazing. If you think about the two simple things, it's you trying to figure out how your, as I said, your brain drives your behavior, and then what can you do about it? How can you better manage your brain? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that we were talking about is uh, brain training games. Tell me a little bit more about that. And they're quick, yeah, sure. too. Well, well, one of the things, you know, as I mentioned, we, the question was the so what? What can we do about these biases? One is that mindfulness training, which has a tremendous amount of research on it. The other is um, these brain training games. And they're very popular now, where you see these on some of the um, uh, many websites. And really, there's current research is digging into the validity of this. And what we're finding is you can actually change the way your brain is wired. It's called self-directed neuroplasticity. And I know it sounds complicated, but in essence, it's what we do every day. Our brain is constantly rewiring itself to adapt to the environment. So with that theory, scientists are looking at the fact of if you can play these brain training games, can you strengthen specific areas of your brain or can you strengthen certain networks so that your memory is better or you regulate your emotions better? And it's, it's, there's some pretty encouraging results with this. And this is actually one of the things that um, attracted me to the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership is having these validated games to use for these purposes. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, met with Evian. I think you're talking about some of the games that Evian Gordon, who 
yeah, is a, a leading MD and, and a researcher, a PhD in neuroscience. And uh, he, he developed some of these incredible games. And what you're saying to me is that they're really having a, a, a significant impact in rewiring how people do things. Managing yes, emotions, yes. I would think, would be a very big part because it seems to me that's where people get into trouble is uh, on the emotional level. Yeah, and it's very easy to see, Linda. And this is where, when you mention kids, this is where it comes into play really, really effectively because um, not only, you know, I mentioned that higher brain and that braking system, that's a very evolutionary developed part of the brain, and it doesn't fully develop in humans until their 20s. It's actually the last part of your brain that develops. Right. So kids need wow. it even more. Yeah, yeah, kids need it even more. Um, and so to be able to build this up, to manage those emotions, because we've seen people, we've seen what happens when that higher brain goes offline, right? If you've seen anyone have a temper tantrum or be so stressed at work that they just lose it and cry and scream, that's yep. that, that higher brain going offline. Yeah. And wow, that, that is amazing. And, and, you know, when I think about that, I know that the times where I personally have been in um, most difficult and not proud circumstances is when I have, uh, you know, lost my grip. I try not to do it very often, but it happens. It does, yes. And it's, and it's very tough. Do you think there are people that are really unable, if you say it's the last part of the brain that really kind of develops, are there some people that have sort of underdeveloped higher brains and never get them developed very Hi. Well, aside, from, aside from teenage boys, which yeah. <laughs> there's a rationale there. Their brain isn't fully developed. I told my son that all the time. Um, yep. there, are, there, there are genetic differences. There's variations um, yep. with every brain uh, in terms of the efficiency of the network. So sure. Um, I think one of the best cases, when you, when you ask these questions, it's always good to look at the clinical data at the far end of the spectrum. People who have post-traumatic stress disorder, we can actually see a change in how their brain networks react, how that lower brain overtakes the higher brain. And it Uh, explains a lot, uh, a lot of their behavior. Yeah, right. I would think so. That's really interesting. We could have a whole show just on this. (laughs) So what what do you see as the... um, limitations. I guess I just want to say something before we get on to that limitations. And, you know, sometimes when people are in community situations, you mentioned Ferguson and some of these other places, you know, it sounds to me like people get into threat mode. They uh, are not operating from sort of the higher brain perspective and their lower brain just takes over and they do things in a flash that Probably if they had had the time to think about it, they would never have done. But done, they did. And that's the key, what you just said there, the time to think about it, the time to pause and reflect. Yeah. 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 And that's hard hard to do in certain certain scenarios, you know, especially when your emotions are high and they're triggered and you're mad. Exactly. And that's the purpose of that break, of that breaking system. So when you ask about the limitations, that's one of the big limitations. This higher brain, it's a great feature. It's truly unique to humans. We can break our emotions. However, it's very, it gets depleted very easily. 
It requires yeah. a lot of energy, a lot of glucose, a lot of oxygen. And therefore, if you're using it a lot during the day, if you're under a lot of stress and you're trying to manage your emotions, it's understandable when you come home and you lash out at people or you're just totally fatigued. Yeah. Yeah, because you've just been moderating yourself so much in a stressful situation. Catherine uh, Hambly, colleague of yours, is going to be on next week, and she's going to be talking about that whole uh, stress factor, um, which I think is going to be really very interesting. So Yeah, it, it, it is. So what do you see as, um, as the so what's about the brain? We talked a little bit about that, but tell me more about that. Sure, sure. I think what we found in terms of what we can do, um, I mentioned the, the mindfulness training, the brain training mm-hmm. games. What we found with people is, and, and people who aren't, I'm not talking neuroscientists, I'm talking people from the general population who just want to have an understanding of this. What we found works is knowledge, is learning about this and being able, and the reason I think it works, Linda, is because people have an, have an understanding about this because they know it relates to them. The, the 500 or so students that we've put through the program in 40 different countries over, over five years, yep. they've all had a common theme. They've all been in the situation where they lost their cool, right? They've right. all been stressed to the point where they can't think straight. So they yeah. can all relate to this crazy brain that everyone has. So they're very yeah. motivated to understand it because not only can they use this information in the corporate world, which is you know, the leadership realm, but they can use right. it for their own personal development and their development yeah. of relationships. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've been in high-stress jobs in the corporate probably lots of our listeners have been and probably currently are and uh, you know you're in those situations and I can honestly say that I've done some things that I didn't do but uh, you know I guess the bottom line is you you are human and um, you know apparently there is the brain that functions to a certain degree that way and maybe this is why the ancient art of meditation people were really knowledgeable about the impact that meditation would have and in causing that sort of higher order brain to, to develop and to, to break some of those baseline reactions and emotions that we have, not knowing the science that we know now, but funny, isn't it? It is funny. It's it's funny. We, we actually say this, that a lot of the things that you learn when you study this, it's not something new or earth shattering, like you say about meditation, but it explains the why. It does explain the why. That's what we're finding. And that's what's so exciting about this. And so it appears to me that we've just scratched the surface here. Oh, without um, a doubt. Yeah. So what, what do you see? Um, uh, do you think people can really be coached? Um, I know you do a lot around coaching, and I know you have an assessment that you use, which I believe is the only assessment that exists in um, uh, for the brain, using the seven capacities that uh, Evian Gordon and, and uh, Phil Dixon and others and yourself uh, developed. Do you, do you really think that coaching works in this? Well, you know, we could speculate on this, but what I think has been the proof is in the pudding in that over, uh, the, I think the benefit we have, Linda, is experience. Over the past yeah. six years, really, where we've worked with 
to be honest, predominantly coaches in these programs, teaching them about this and implementing it. We've heard amazing results. And, you know, you can write papers on theorizing about how it could work or why it would work, but we have gotten tangible results from people. And the great part of this is these students are, like, like I said, in multiple countries, multiple cultures, but you seem to have this common theme is that they understand the need for this, right, that there's a huge unmet need for this ability to understand the neuroscience of leadership and that it works. Yeah. It works. The yeah. beauty of it is it works whether you're in Asia or you're the United States. Okay, we're at break, um, and it, it does work. And uh, one question I would like to ask after break is, does it last or can it last? Uh, but we do have an email in, uh, so stay with us, Dan. Um, a great question. I think you're going to love answering it. But- when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to iLead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #ILeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and welcome back to our final segment. Uh, with me is Dan Radecki, who is a leading thinker, 
doctor of neuroscience. Uh, we're having a really fascinating conversation. Dan, I don't have an audience that calls in. I would love for people to call in, but they don't seem, they seem to prefer to send emails. And I got this great email question from Jose, actually in Mexico, Mexico City, who uh, wrote in to ask, um, what do you see the state of neuroscience today and where do you think it's going? Yeah, that's, well, that's a great question. This, we get asked yep. this all the time by people who start delving into this field. Uh, I think the, what, it, what really excited me about this field was that it's the last frontier in terms of the human body. We know so much about the heart and the lungs, but the brain, like you said, we're just scratching the surface. So I think the future is really being specific in diagnosing diseases for things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Um, So we can get an early detection, early signal detection. You know, you can look at your genes and say you are at high risk for Alzheimer's in 50 years. Okay, so then what can you do about it? And I think there's going to be a push to really be proactive. I think that's where the future of neuroscience is, being proactive, much like we are in medicine, right? We know if you have a risk factor for heart disease, then you go on statins. You would take Lipitor or you would modify your diet. And I think we're going to get to that point soon with some of these cognitive dementia, Alzheimer's, some of these things. If we don't forget about it beforehand. If we don't forget. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't resist. I'm sorry, Dan. (laughs) any other insights? Um, how, how soon do you think things like that are becoming, going to be coming down the pike? Well, there, we're really getting to that point right now. And there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, this is, a, this is a controversial, sensitive area because a lot of it has to do with genetic testing um, yeah. and, and, and things like that. And we're still not at the point where all countries are on board with trying to do these types of things. Um, but, I, but another thing that I thought about as well and then is um, the impact of mindset on brain functioning. Taking it back again to where we were hundreds of years ago, the brain-body duality. Um, and in looking at how is my approach, how is my mindset affecting the way my brain functions? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ellen Langer, but she did some amazing yeah. work at Harvard years ago. She was the first female full professor there in the psychology department. And she did an amazing study basically showing that if you took elderly men and put them in a situation, in a context, like they were 20 years younger, okay, everything, the environment, the television, the newspaper, these men started to physically change. Their behavior changed. They looked younger. Their joints became more flexible. Um, their, <laughs> their fingers lengthened, which shortening of fingers happens with age. So, I think this idea of our mindset, how our mind can control our biological processes is fascinating. And I think that's going to be another frontier as well. Yeah. Reminds me of the cocoon, that movie, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Well, Dan, thank you so much. I'm going to call you Dr. Dan. I kind of like that. Dan, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show. It was just really fascinating. Uh, We're going to keep connected with you guys. Thank you for putting me on your board. I'm so excited to be part of this. Uh, I hope I can add value from a leadership perspective. um, And I look forward to our continued dialogue. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Linda. I appreciate it. Okay. And stay with us for next week. We're going to be having Catherine Hambly, also from the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, uh, 
she is going to be talking about the impact of stress and what that does to the brain uh, and what you can do to create resilience in times of stress. Uh, it's going to be another, I think, fascinating discussion. This is, in my mind, as uh, Dan said, this is the new frontier. And the more we learn about ourselves, it's just such an incredibly exciting time. And the more we can learn about what causes uh, and helps us to be more emotionally connected to others, more empathetic to others, less negative bias about other people. And, you know, I want to be clear, not all bias is bad, but some bias does get in our way. And learning about that can only do better for our society, for our workplaces, for our communities as a whole. You know, the world is getting smaller and technology is making it even smaller. And we're going to have to interact and live with each other in ways that we never really thought we'd have to do um, 50 years ago, even 20 years ago, even. And society is going to become less and less homogeneous. And the workplace already is less homogeneous, but is going to increasingly become that way. And being able to empathize, being able to understand your emotional triggers, being able to exercise mindfulness in your judgment, not only of others, but in how you make decisions and how you make and how you lead people only can bring a higher order of purpose to you as a leader and to your organization, and to the people that you lead. You know, at the end of the day, we all want to contribute successfully to our own lives and hopefully to the lives of others. We really do want to help people. We really do want to see others be successful. And getting a greater understanding of how our brain works in this regard can only move us closer in that direction. I'm very excited about this research and if I were had the energy and the time to do another PhD which I do not this would be an area that I would greatly focus in on I want to leave by saying get a hold of Phil Dixon get a hold of Dan you can reach them at www.academy-bbl.com that's b as in boy b as in boy l.com uh, it's the Academy of Brain Based Le- Leadership a wonderful organization, wonderful training uh, initiatives, programs, brain exercises that are really changing people's lives in significant ways. So thank you so much for being with me. I look forward to having uh, you participate next week with Catherine Hambly, who again is going to be talking about resilience and stress and what that does to the brain uh, and how we can use coaching with a neuroscience approach that can really bring out the best in us. I have one final thought. Get a copy of Marshall Goldsmith's book, Triggers, because you see triggers tells you something else. It gives you the signals of what's going to trigger that emotional response that you don't want to have. And if you can get attuned to those triggers that set you off and then use some mindfulness, meditation, halting techniques, as Dan spoke about, you will not only 
be a better leader, you'll like yourself a heck of a lot more. Because I don't know about you, but where I've lost it, I've never felt good. And I've always been sorry. So stay with me. Uh, I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. I hope you're enjoying the show and join us next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead the Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thank you.